Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Roots Away podcast. I'm your host, Jason Ringenberg. Today, we have Eric Howes. He is an incredibly creative person. His art is quite amazing in every sense, mostly the vehicles he chooses to live in. He's also an amazing rock climber, amazing outdoor athlete, amazing sailor and expedition guy, and also the most handy person I have ever met. We had such a good time talking, and I really, really psyched for you guys to get to know Eric. So with, uh, without further ado, here's another episode of Roots Away. Thank you guys for listening, and I hope you enjoy Eric House. You. What's up, Eric? Oh, what's happening, Jason? So uh, could you give a little background about uh, who you are and what you're up to? Yeah, right on, man. Yeah, my name's Eric. Um, some folks know me as Mr. Dirt. Um, traveling artist, climber, living in various vehicles and just kind of living a life. Yeah, you have a very, very iconic Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, no, it's a cool build. Um yeah, the evolution of many years of living out of it is uh, you keep putting various pieces of wood and little knickknacks on a vehicle and it turns into a, quite the home after a while. Yeah, so um, people listening, he's got this like really cool Jeep. I would say it's kind of like an art car, sort of, but <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. super iconic. Thanks, yeah. man. Yeah, it looks like something like it would fit right in a Burning Man, but uh, yeah, a little tiny cedar shingled tiny house built into a jeep wrangler yeah how did you like come up with the idea to make that shoot man it's just uh (laughs) it's kind of out of necessity i guess one winter i was living on a farm and we just had a bunch of leftover materials from a project and uh all the windows are kind of busted out of my jeep so i decided to just put a bunch of wood onto my car and make a house on the vehicle i already owned that's awesome, dude. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like your creativity like always <laughs> astonishes me. <laughs> like all your builds and stuff. Oh, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I mean like the space you surround yourself in is really valuable and uh I think can be a, you know, powerful place to surround yourself in. So, um yeah, I've really enjoyed creating livable spaces that uh can just accentuate my life and allow me to to live. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in uh, New England, in uh, just north of Boston, in Burlington, Massachusetts, so kind of the suburbs there. And I uh, spent, you know, from birth to around eighteen, living in the the suburbs there, and then moved moved away into the mountains when I was able to leave home. Nice. Uh, when did you get into climbing? uh shortly after high school i started to you know i kind of went through this like who am i phase of life and uh at one point wanted to get into the marine corps and 
um, through that, they kind of introduced me to rock climbing and I couldn't really join cause I was colorblind and, uh, have some depth perception, uh, limitations. So I never joined the Marine Corps, but I kept with the climb and, and it's just uh, evolved from there. So you learned how to climb in the Marine Corps, well, but you didn't get into it. Yeah, they took us out doing some like rappelling and just kind of climbing in, indoors. It was part of like their whole training thing. They wanted, wanted to just give you access to climbing to, you know, from a fitness perspective and less from an adventures standpoint. So it was more, you know, the hoorah of the Marines. And then here you are on some like, you know, probably five eight jug hall and they're just like climb it <laughs> and uh yeah it was just i guess my first introduction the rock climbing was from that avenue huh that's interesting i've never heard of anybody getting into it like from that perspective it's always just like <laughs> oh like i joined a gym <laughs> yeah yeah or, i guess like... that's what followed i mean it's like how do you hear about climbing it's just like really kind of slightly bizarre activity and yeah, a lot of people use it for varying ways. It can be a source of adventure and there's definitely the like fitness aspect. And I think that's kind of how I heard about it initially was through this like, yeah, let's do a bunch of burpees and then like top rope this thing a bunch of times. <laughs> you know, it wasn't for, you know, how I view climbing now. But at the time I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty neat. Okay. And I can do this outside. Okay. Huh, cool. Yeah, dude, that's. It's crazy. Like when I started climbing, like, I don't know, almost 10 years ago, it was like such an obscure thing. Like nobody like <laughs> did it at all. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the access and, to climbing is just kind of boomed recently with the whole climbing gym like, popping up everywhere. Yeah. I think Connell does a lot to do with that as well, but sure. um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's so weird. Like it's just like become mainstream all of a sudden and like i did not know any rock climbers when i started really and now it's just like it seems like everybody <clears throat> climbs mm, maybe yeah. that's just yeah well i'm maybe sure that's... as you like delve into it deeper you surround yourself with more people who are climbers or are probably more familiar with it and you just kind of get more into the outdoor recreation yeah i mean it could just be like my sphere of friends are all rock climbers now so maybe yeah. I'm just like in my own little <laughs> echo chamber but I don't know, it seems like it's getting bigger. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is interesting when you start getting into climbing, you just like find an attraction towards others. Next thing you know, all your, your friends are, you know, having to do something with the sport and everybody you surround yourself with is like, you know, one step away from it. And yeah, yeah, it can definitely consume your world. Yeah, it's weird like that. I mean, I think half the reason I climb at all is just like the community is so cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of it is the people. I mean, it's the, you know, climbing's awesome and the movement of it all, but it's the people that really kind of make it all what you you want to be a part of. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, can you tell us about your trolley build? Sure. Yeah, I know the trolley. <laughs> I mean, Definitely just like the ultimate sandbag of a project. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just the, the next step for me in vehicle dwelling was just kind of like slightly larger space. And I'd gone through going from the Jeep in its most simplest form of just crawling in the back to then a van. And then the van seemed slightly limiting after, you know, starting a company and needing space to make art and uh, store products and 
I saw this trolley on Craigslist that was, um, you know, well outside of my budget for what I wanted to spend on a vehicle. And then after kind of seeing it pop up on Craigslist through time, it like the price was like dropping lower and lower and lower. Um, and then one day I just kind of reached out to him like, what's up with this trolley that is like for sale? And, uh, yeah, it was for sale, um, by some heavy equipment trader and was able to pick it up for, uh, you know, way cheaper than I ever thought you could get a trolley bus for. And yeah, I guess I spent the last five years building it into a, to a home. Yeah. You like redid the engine and everything. Is that done? Like, did you get it all put in? That's the that's the current uh project here. I kind of uh <laughs> spent all that time, you know, for it's been five years now on the interior part of it to make it livable and this like the dream home for me as a vehicle dweller and then got to a point where I was like, Wow, the motor in here one is just like really inefficient. I mean it's getting like low single digit miles per gallon and um, after not driving it for a while, it had, uh, um, the, the motor was just blown. It was, uh, had low compression in all the cylinders. It was just kind of like, uh, <laughs> uh, what's that thing from, uh, Rudolph? There's like that train with the square whales is kind of what it seemed like. It would like, when like all this black smoke would come out the back and then it would like lurch forwards and it was a pretty big mess. So got to a point in the build where I was like, Hey, I, I need this thing to drive and I would like it to be more powerful so I can actually cruise down the highway at like <laughs> faster than 40 miles an hour and then uh, get decent fuel economy. So I've been undergoing a, a motor swap to a more fuel efficient engine. Uh, it's based off of a um, LS engine, which is a GMC's uh, platform of fuel injected gasoline motors. Nice. Um, how is that going? <laughs> uh, man, yeah, it's, I, I'm like into a little over a year of the swap right now and it's coming to completion now. It's definitely a time intensive project as well as financially intensive. I had kind of budgeted myself what the swap would cost and it's just kind of far exceeded it and, um, you know, like all things, you're kind of limited by your uh, financial resources. So for me, it's just kind of been a process of like finding these jobs and making money and then putting that money into the trolley and then also trying to like stay <laughs> true to myself and uh, um, do things that bring me fulfillment. Uh, I think the trolley has consumed a lot of my time. Um so making sure I go out and still have adventures and do things to have a balanced life, which just takes time. Yeah, for sure. It'll be worth it once it's done, though. Thanks. Yeah, I hope so. I've been living out of it full time now for for five months um, up in Eaton, New Hampshire, uh, just outside of North Conway. And yeah, it's the first time that I've truly felt like this is my home um, in a place that I can feel um, like fulfillment and just that peace with my life is there's always this thing of shelter and like with these different vehicles is, you know, they all ultimately just provide shelter. And a lot of my situations have been <laughs> pretty minimal and uh, 
which is great for living a, a life of excitement and uh, experience. Um, but you always feel limited and um, uncomfortable for sure. Yeah, these, sometimes these little camper vans aren't really, uh, you know, set up for long-term dwelling once you get past years one, two, three, five, six, eight, ten. You know, it's like it just gets to be a bit much. So. Yeah, yeah. I I lived in a van for at least five years. <clears throat> I I mean, I love it. I loved it. Um, I'm in a house now, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, I get like what you're saying, like being able to stand up and walk around and, um, yeah, the only thing, yeah, yeah. the only thing I think is like, it'll be hard to park it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It's a thing. It's a consideration. I think it'll do, it'll perform differently. I've lived out of it in the early phases for a little while. Um, and undoubtedly it's big, it was 25 feet long. So it's different, but it's not, it's set up differently. You know, the whole, the whole thing with van life and with, uh, you know, the Jeep build and things like that nature is that they're good for like these kind of like quick dash missions where you can go somewhere and go have a weekend or a week or something like that. And then you move on to the next and the trolley is kind of set more up to like be in a place for a season where you have a set situation that allows you to exist, uh, and then maybe like a small motorcycle or something to get into town when you don't want to take the whole rig. Yeah, I was about to say, like, if you got a motorcycle, it would be like totally good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. I got this little um it's pretty outrageous. Like the trolley is outrageous and the the bike I have is equally as outrageous. It's um it's this lawnmower engine that's been uh cobbled into this pretty slick, like low rider big um bike bicycle frame it's got uh these big ape bars and um it's like hot rod the the exhaust of this whole thing like flares out like a big fish mouth and it's got flames flames on the fenders and this like little peanut <laughs> gas tank welded into the frame it's uh it's pretty outrageous it's a fun ride but that'll be hanging off the back for the little uh trips in the town I love it too. That's like so your style. Amazing. <laughs> uh, uh, Where'd you find that thing? It's at an antique store down the street from where I'm staying. It was uh kind of out of place. This um old machinist had built it and it was his tinker toy and he dropped it off at the antique store and they just had it on consignment for him and it was uh yeah, just like <laughs> just this absolutely outrageous machine that was like oh wow yeah this is what i'm gonna be taking around in the trolley with me and it's nice and lightweight too the um like a motorcycle would be relatively heavy you know this thing i could i could pick up and carry and it also has pedals so you could uh it's more of a moped so you can pedal it um just like a regular bicycle without turning the engine on oh okay so it's kind of like an e-bike sort of um yeah same concept yeah where you instead of that this one burns dinosaurs um instead of the charging from the electricity but it's um yeah it's got pedals so if you just were going like pretty quick you just pedal it pedal it around and it's got like a pretty good gearing ratio where um you can just pedal it along and then if you're going long distances and you want to cruise at like speeds of like 25 miles an hour you just have a little pull start and you just off you go wow that's cool (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty silly but yeah 
Yeah. Um, do you have any like trips planned? Like when you get your trolley, like fully figured out, like what do you have in mind? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I got so many things. I think you're just like always constantly coming up with plans and things you want to do. And, um, I don't know if I have like anything specific in mind. It's more just like, wow, once it's done, then I can start to move on with my life. It's been this multi-year project where it's more just focused on completing it and then kind of going where it feels right to, as opposed to like, I'm trying to take it here. So there's things that I've dreamt of doing and places that I think would be kind of neat to go to, um, revisit areas I've been to in the past, but in, from like a different perspective now when I have different home base or the ability to stay in places longer yeah definitely um like what like would you want to like drive it to alaska or like in moab or like yeah yeah both of those actually yeah i've always dreamt of doing the uh pan american highway so from alaska down to south america and i i wouldn't do anything south of Arizona with the trolley, but I think it'd be really fun to go from Alaska to Arizona in the trolley and then to take off from there with a motorcycle or something else. Um, and then to, to leave it there, find a place where the trolley could just kind of post up for a while, maybe at a campground where it gets rented out or, um, at somebody's property where they use it as like a accessory dwelling unit of sorts. Yeah. That's kind of a cool idea. Like Airbnb it maybe. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. There's a few people who've reached out. Actually, it's a quite the experiential place to live. So it'd be kind of neat to let other people live in it and just have a night in there and or longer. I mean, however long they want to stay in it, it's just kind of a neat spot to be like, holy shit! Wow, I feel like I've been like teleported into a new place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's super unique. Like, you put so much like creative effort into it. I like, I'm very amazed by like. The nice. craftsmanship and everything that went into this yeah. So It's neat when you really kind of like dive into a project and just express yourself through various mediums. So like uh, with the trolley, yeah, taking, you know, these bittersweet vines I've collected and then scribing them into the woodwork and then um, the process of uh, finding all this really interesting furniture. Um down in Massachusetts where I worked on the trolley primarily at my parents' house. There's just so many wasteful folks who just take this like old, beautiful furniture and throw it out. And uh, it was kind of neat to just travel around just, you know, if I'm going to work or to the climbing gym or whatnot, I'll be like, Holy shit. Wow. Look at that thing. And then like take it home with me and like dissect it and then like integrate all that uh, woodworking into the trolley space, just from things you find for free. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I know that that's really cool. It's like mostly all reclaimed or, you know, like thrown away things that you put in and you've created something yeah. like like really cool out of it, you know. That's pretty amazing. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, everything in there has like a little story to it and yeah, anytime I take someone into the trolley and show them around, it's like this was a table leaf that my sister and I like poached from the dumpster at a hotel at two AM and then like, oh, this right here is a jukebox that I found in a barn that was going to get uh, demolished. And this was a, you know, a desk that I found outside of the local lobster shack and they were, had a free sign on it. And, you know, everything in there is kind of like has a place and it's all, um, you know, a story from a time that uh, I was part of. 
Yeah, that's so cool. So do you just like cruise around? Like, well, obviously, like you have feelers out for like, yeah. for all that kind of thing. So that's cool that you're just like, like, oh, yeah, that. like, that's cool. You always got the eagle eyes going. You're driving down the road and you're like, oh, what was that? Oh, what was that? And you kind of have this like sense of uh, you see something and it's usually by somebody's mailbox. It's like the general zone. It's like the fr- I think it's like widely considered that like if you leave something in the front of your property in the like proximity of your mailbox or driveway it's usually because you're trying to get rid of it and if it doesn't have a sign that says like for sale it's like fair game to just take (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, i think that's that's probably fair like people don't just store things by their mailbox. yeah (laughs) yeah let's try to ask and like especially with dumpsters too i think it's like because especially if you're going to, like, rifle through somebody's dumpster, it's kind of, I do try to ask for things. And, um, yeah, you'd be surprised. I mean, people are like, oh, you're into that? Well, you won't believe what's in my shed. And then they, like, take you out back, and then they're like, you interested in this by chance? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes all it takes is just asking, and you'd be uh, kind of blown away what people are willing to just offload if they know that someone has a vision for it. Yeah, I mean, one man's trash is another man's treasure, as they say. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, treasures can be used to to build many things, and they're just limited by your creativity, the usage of them. Yeah. How did you, like, get so handy with, like, all of the the work you're doing? Like, A lot of of different ways. Um, Yeah, I've kind of fallen into this seasonal working life where I work a job for a set period of time and then change things up pretty dramatically usually with a seasonal change so if that's like you know summer into winter time or something like that and um i've kind of fallen into these blue collar working trades that they usually have like pretty distinct like oh hey our contract's up here uh we probably don't need more help now so i guess we'll see you later and uh throughout that i've picked up a lot of really incredible work that's taught me a lot of skills um i was working for a guy who uh restored um, the public library in north conway and it was a um really incredible um opportunity we were working with like you know all quarter sawn white oak and these crown moldings and um it was a historical restoration of the 1800s library and i learned so much throughout that and used all those skills in the trolley build and um yeah just through time working with a lot of really talented craftsmen and learning and asking questions along the way yeah that's crazy so so you do a lot of like i would say non-conventional jobs can you talk about like some of the crazy like jobs you've had (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's there's so many niche jobs out there that just you wouldn't know that they exist until you hear about them because they're just they're not out in the open. You know, you would just never know this is a thing. And um, I started pretty early on working these like strings of just like odd jobs, and um, they really just kind of teach you how to figure it out. And I think that's what a, a lot of these jobs require is you to just be like competent to just figure out what the heck you're doing and like you but you don't need to know exactly the job description and the like you know the exact (laughs) 
job you're doing, but just familiarity with tools. And I guess my most far out seasonal job was a, a scuba diver harvesting invasive underwater plants, um, which was pretty interesting. I was uh, doing that seasonally from around April to October in New Hampshire, and it would just end come October, and we all went on climbing or ski trips, and we would be underwater for you know, eight to 10 hours a day, getting paid really well to harvest milfoil and fanwort and other invasive plant species. So. That's so rad. That <laughs> yeah, was way cool. Yeah. We were a uh, um, bunch of rock climbers too. So on our days off, we'd all climb together and lived in a communal house. So you're not paying for housing and uh, they just train you. And yeah, it's a really awesome opportunity. How did you find that? That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, right. See, it's like one of these things where it's like you have to just be out there doing it to find it. And um, I I heard about that job by being a snowshoe guide. So I was uh, guiding these snowshoeing trips. Um, and the manager uh, was doing this for fun in the wintertime. And at the end of the snowshoe season, he's like, hey, Eric, you're like a – you know, kind of a cool cat. And I think you'd be good to have on the company. Like, Hey, do we have like a little bit of time in between, um, this season and the dive season. But if you're interested, I love to take you aboard and train you to be a diver. So it just kind of naturally went from one seasonal job to the next. Yeah. That's cool. Just like the networking <laughs> thing, man. Yeah. I, that's I mean, what I... a lot of they come down to is just the networking and the people, you know, and what comes up throughout those relationships. Yeah. Didn't you like work on a crab ship too or something? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the fishing industry is uh next level seasonal work. Um, takes a, a super rugged person to do that. Um, yeah, I worked on a lobstering uh, vessel out of Gloucester mass, um, which was again, seasonal. And so I did that for a winter time and was a incredible opportunity and, we had a highly lucrative season um, and was able to take a lot of that money. And I went on like a mega road trip over the winter time and was able to funnel a lot of that money into the trolley as well. Yeah, I know. It's it's pretty brutal work from, from what I've heard. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you're doing 12 plus maybe 16 hour days and you're just you're lifting 50 to 80 pound traps repetitively sometimes you're moving like you know 600 700 traps a day and you're just getting stabbed by poisonous fish and the the seas can be pretty rough and you're getting tossed around just just like standing on the boat not even doing work is pretty hard in and of itself and then you're doing the rigging and you get so comfortable with it. Next thing you know, you're kind of like reaching over the side of this boat, trying to tie a bowline above these like angry oceans ready to swallow you up. And you're just like, Oh wow, this is pretty far out. If I like slip and go in the water, I'm just like instantly dead. And, um, that's like pretty mentally taxing. So, you know, you got the physical element of moving hundreds of pounds of frozen fish and bait and traps and metal and ropes. And then you got the, the mental element of well as well as like staying stoked throughout the long day, not falling asleep, standing up. And then just like, Oh wow. There's all these ropes that are moving at like high speeds that will just rip my body parts off. Like I gotta be on, you know, it's like you 
you're on a climb and you're like firing the crux and like picture the crux now is just like hours and hours of your day. You got to be on and alert. That's, um, (laughs) can be pretty draining for sure. Yeah. That sounds so intense, but yeah, like, I don't know. I've heard like, so I I used to live in Alaska and like, Mm -hmm. I'd hear stories about these guys that just do that forever. And you know, they're probably on some sort of amphetamines the whole time you know just to like stay alert but um yeah Yeah, it's like part of the job yeah they like come back in town and just like blow tons of money at bars and stuff and it gets wild Uh. (laughs) you're under stimulated for months at oil um you're highly stimulated for months at a time but in different ways and now all of a sudden you come back on shore and somebody hands you a paycheck for like you know 10 plus thousand dollars and you're like wow what can I spend my money on? Um, I, I personally don't use that mentality, but, um, I could see why other people who maybe don't have other things going on for them are like, Oh, I just got this fat paycheck and here I am. And there's a bar and all this other stuff. I guess I'll go spend it there. Um, but (laughs) you don't, you don't need to do that. I mean, (laughs) I, I got all my paycheck money and then was like, Hey, I'm going out to Joshua tree for like, you know, four months. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Give and take, I suppose. Would you ever go back to that, or is it just too brutal? Um, Yeah, no, not for sure. I mean, it's like most things in the moment, you're like, yeah, right, never doing that again. And then, like, as time goes on, you're like, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I didn't die, so it was probably um, not the worst. Um, but it, I get really seasick, so I, um, at the time, hadn't gotten over it, so I my first season lobstering, I'd, I'd puke sometimes upwards of 10 times a day. I would throw up and like any food I ate and any water I drank, what I would just puke like almost like onto myself. And, um, you know, I'd be like taking the bait. So you got this bucket of dead fish and you got a skewer and you're just like stabbing them in the eyeballs. And then for me, I'm like upside down head, head first in this bucket of fish puking all over myself not because of the fish is gross but because i'm like just horribly seasick um and over the course of a season that like played a pretty significant toll on my body um so i i've since like conquered my seasickness and so i don't think it would be as bad now and yeah i'd go back i'd do it for sure yeah the paycheck was certainly worth it i know my first day my first day was brutal and it was like 15 plus hours of like full on hard manual labor, gnar to the max. And it was like, wow, I'm spent, you know, my hands are like stabbed by like rusty metal and crazy fish quills. And then all of a sudden you get a paycheck for like $900 for a day. And it's like, Oh, um, yeah, yeah, I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I can see the appeal there, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. High reward for that one. Well, high risk, too, you know. It's not, yeah, it's yeah, high risk, high reward. Um, yeah, super experientially, you're working in these boatyards where it's just, like, big, massive pieces of machinery, and, you know, you got, like, the Popeye sailors all around you who just have stories of, you know, the going out into the ocean and seeing the 50 plus foot waves and the you know mind-boggling stories and you're just like wow i can't believe i'm working with all these people in this area with tons of history and 
um, yeah, we, we docked right up to the, where, uh, the perfect storm was filmed and we were at the railways, which is, it was where that movie was based out of. So it's pretty cool. Dang, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the stories must be insane. Yeah. I've always wanted to sail, but it's so expensive. I'm probably not going to get into that, but yeah. If you're the um, captain, I mean, the thing with that is that you always can like get, get on a crew. So there's always that as an option to get to experience it. Yeah. Speaking of sailing, um, could you tell us about your trip with, uh, Mark? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was awesome. That was kind of like a multi-part adventure there, but, um, yeah, I guess my background is in, um, you know, engine repair and just being fairly mechanically inclined. And, um, yeah, I reached out to Mark a while back. He, uh, was kind of made a Facebook post as far as like, Hey, I hurt my back. I'm looking for somebody to maybe help out with some projects on the sailboat. And, um, I had just like gone out of like a, uh, really bad relationship and I uh, was, you know, kind of isolated working on the trolley. So I was, I was in the headspace of like, yeah, I'd go hang out with somebody and get on some projects that I could clear my head with. And, um, I met up with Mark and we had, we just really did well together and, uh, was working on his sailboat for a big expedition that he was planning. And I was just kind of the helper guy at the time. And, um, it worked out where one of the crew members, um, hurt their foot and couldn't join. And so Mark reached out to me and was like, Hey Eric, like, do you want to, do you want to be a part of this big expedition? And we'd love to have you and think you'd, you'd fill the role really well. And, um, I was in a position where I could say yes. Yeah. So could you give a little, um, like context of like who Mark is? <laughs> um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I, I gotta say, like, I didn't really also, I didn't really know who Mark was until recently. I mean, I spent at this point in time, like, you know, a little, I don't know, probably like three months or so with Mark and, um, just kind of learning about him through being around him at tables and hearing stories and then kind of now recently reading his blog. But, uh, Mark is like this incredibly influential climber that, um, you know, he's the captain of the North Face team uh he's written some incredible literature for adventure and um, storytelling with uh, national geographic he's he's got so many national geographic articles and um been a part of a lot of climbing movies with um renan osterk and alex honnold and um he's written some uh, new york times best-selling books and um yeah, it just has a highly impressive climbing history. So yeah, I get to spend some time with him. It's, it's been amazing. Yeah, Mark is like one of the most influential expedition people alive today, for sure. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, no, that's what it seems. Um, yeah, I, I, I just kind of knew him as a local guy who's climber and seemed like a cool cat and. Um, I heard his, uh, he did a presentation on like the last honey hunter, which was a film he was working on and he gave a presentation at the brewery and that was kind of the extent of who he was, who I knew him as. And then, yeah, it turns out he's got like first ascents in like Baffin Island and Pakistan and all over the place. <laughs> it was yeah, like mind boggling. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's a big deal, dude. So how was that trip? Like, um, could you like tell the story of like how it was? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I got I got invited fairly last minute to join, and I'd heard heard what it was, but I wasn't involved too much in the storytelling aspect. I was the the mechanic in the just the kind of the young the young buck who would climb up the mast and fix things when they needed to and you know mark and all those guys are all super fit and capable but if there's a you know you're jugging up the mass to go do some rigging it's you know nice to have a 20 something year old who's just like yeah i'm stoked i'm super into it (laughs) so i was kind of that guy but it was um we left from uh biddeford maine and then it was to do the northwest passage um, and then tell the story of the Franklin expedition. Um, and it was for, a uh, national geographic and, uh, Disney plus, uh, movie. So that was kind of the, the reason for the trip. And, um, yeah, it went from there to Alaska. So the Northwest passage, um, go, we started from, uh, Maine and went to Alaska. It's our journey. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I was part of the uh, Maine to Greenland aspect, and then just this past year, I joined up with him again, and then finished it off in Alaska. So, like, what does a normal day look like on a trip like that? Yeah, <laughs> they have slightly different um, different feels. It depends on if you're um, trying to get somewhere. If you're moving, it could just be doing these three hour chunks of where you you wake up and you're on watch and you're looking for icebergs or you're looking at the navigational charts and adjusting course uh, for your time awake. And then when your watch cycles over, you're usually just falling right back asleep. Um, so that can be just a grind. Um, usually you're fixing things whenever there's downtime. So you're you're pretty on you're committed to the vessel it's um and you think about expedition like with a climbing expedition it's your body that's the um the guiding force here so you're always tending to your body and making sure that you're taking care of yourself with hygiene and all this and on a trip like this it's the boat it's like you got to keep the boat going so you got to be servicing the motor you got to be looking at um, fuel filters you're looking at the desalinator you're tending to electrical issues you're looking at things in the head you're you're looking at moisture and condensation and leaks and rigging and um, there's just so many facets to a boat that you're always making sure are in top working order and particularly when you're about to do a large crossing um, you know before we did things like the davis strait or the bering sea and these big angry mean oceans you're always making sure like things are lashed down everything is serviced you're uh, preemptively changing filters you're tightening bolts that um, you know, you typically wouldn't tighten, but it's would be catastrophic if they came loose. So you're tightening them to make sure that they're good. <laughs> and the list just goes on and on and on. Dang. So it's just like constantly like, Oh, I got to fix this. Oh, we got to make sure this doesn't go wrong. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mean, like... That's exactly the situation. And as the guy that was kind of in, you know, put into that role, it was always like, Oh, we're in this beautiful place. Like, holy smokes, I can't believe it. We're off the coast of Alaska. There's like giant mountains around. There's like all this gnar. Like, 
do I go and like go try to run up something really fast or do I fix the boat? And it's like this constant, constant thing in your decision making. And Mark is this amazing captain where he kind of fosters that um, exploration and he knows like we got to tend to the boat. We got to like get shit done. But also, hey man, we're like, <laughs> we're in Greenland right now and there's a giant mountain over there. We We should probably go up it. Um, so it's a good balance of it all. Um, undoubtedly it does typically tend to be more focused on wrenching on the boat because there's just so much to do and we run a small crew. So there's just a a lot of time spent to the boat. Yeah. And I'm, I'm guessing the rescue opportunities are quite low. (laughs) Yeah. For the first aspect, we we had like a good little security blanket with Disney and all those guys. And they were kind of had our backs, I think a bit, but um, you're, you're for sure out in some pretty big oceans far away from like an easy rescue. Like the you're in these areas. And if you call in a mayday or a coast guard, it's like, yeah, we do, we have like a pretty sweet insurance policy from Disney, but it doesn't really matter when you're three days away from anyone and getting to you. Yeah. That's like super radical, like self reliance. Yeah. Yeah. You need to be like the <laughs> utmost level of self reliance. So, you know, we're talking about like being in waters with icebergs and um, needing to be <laughs> able to handle a situation like that. And I mean, at one point, we're talking about, you know, using our emergency backup storm sail as a hull repair. You know, if we ever hit the boat into an iceberg, you know, you're you're gooping it up with underwater sealants and you're putting your your sail under the hull of the boat to keep it afloat. And I mean, those are just like realistic things you got to be ready for when you undergo an expedition of that size. Yeah, like super redundancy. Like what happens if that happens? Yeah. <laughs> and it might happen. Yeah. yeah. And it could happen. <laughs> Did anything go wrong or was it all like pretty smooth? We had a lot of mechanical failure um things on a boat that is getting used and abused that hard just has things breaking um so yeah we we had a few pieces of pretty critical rigging go when we were doing the davis Strait. um that proved to be fairly exciting um our motors fuel system had a lot of issues with the tank liner um so we were getting into the fuel system pretty regularly throughout the expedition trying to uh you know prep that come up with new systems add new filters in add redundancy and um when you have your fuel system being tainted by exfoliating paint in the tank it causes a lot of issues so um trying to tend to that as well as all the just normal maintenance of a boat and uh all the woodworking inside just getting pretty smashed from the weather so yeah did you have days with like huge waves and whatnot that like rocked it a lot or (laughs) yeah um for sure yeah when you're crossing these these big um these big bodies of water and particularly with storms in the area um the seas can be pretty unrelenting so uh, keeping it pretty western for sure (laughs) pretty western noise yeah so you ended at greenland and then they kept going they they did make it right 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the boat currently is in Alaska, so I met up with him just this past season in Nome, Alaska, which is um kind of like one of the most northwestern most um places in Alaska that you could winter a boat in and uh one of the kind of closest places over to Russia there. And that's where I met up with him and we took it from Nome um uh, through the Bering Sea, the Aleutians uh, past Kodiak and then down to Juneau, which is just above the inside passage. That's so cool. Did you see like any cool, um, like marine life? Uh, definitely almost every day. Yeah. Whether it's a whale or a sea lion or crazy jellyfish or, um, yeah, dolphins. Yeah. We saw quite a lot. (laughs) Alaska's got a lot of sea life. <laughs> I know it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, you said you've spent some time up there. Yeah, yeah, I spent um like four months, I think, in Seward, Alaska. Sweet. Um, yeah, in Resurrection oh, Bay. Sick. Yeah, no, it's freaking sweet. We ate oh, I mean, Seward's awesome. Man. You got tons of mountains coming right outside of the town there, and the glaciers not too by, too far by. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, like that huge ice field up there. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mega. Yeah, I saw her doing like a bunch of, you know, it's kind of like a tourist zone, so they kind of thrive off of uh, taking people out and doing little glacier trips and uh, hikes and tours and charters. And it's a, yeah, it seems like a fantastic place to do like a season if you're like doing the seasonal work. Yeah, it, it was really cool. I mean, it was like during the pandemic, so there was no like mm. cruise ships or anything they were coming in so it was like way less touristy than like it would have been Uh um but yeah i don't know like the salmon fishing was amazing um just eating so much salmon all the time (laughs) yeah yeah they're huge (laughs) i mean there's just like so many fishing uh vessels coming in there yeah totally um and like there's yeah, a lot cool... of climbing too. If you have access to a boat, I mean, your like possibilities of first ascents right out of the water is like, <laughs> you know, seemingly infinite. Uh, it's it's kind of chossy over there. I think um, there's really good ice climbing though. <laughs> yeah, I saw a mountain project. Yeah, we had a down day, and I was like, huh, yeah, I want to like check out mountain project. Like, what's around here? And um, yeah, it seems like some good alpine climbing. Yeah, I mean, I. I was friends with this ice climber dude and he was kind of just like, yeah, like let's climb ice, but like, we're not climbing rock cause it's too chossy. I'm like, all right, well, I don't know. I wasn't yeah. really there to climb. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just there to like experience. Yeah. saw the Northern lights and stuff. That was cool. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, that's the place for it. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen them before? Uh, yeah, I've been, um, yeah, really fortunate to experience them uh, quite a few times now. Yeah. And, um, Greenland and also in Iceland when I was there and uh, Alaska as well. Uh, yeah, anytime you get to see that phenomenon, it's like, yeah, pretty mind blowing. It is mind blowing. Yeah, I mean, I thought it would be like underwhelming, kind of, but mm. I mean, the times I saw it, it was like, whoa. <laughs> right? Like, that is very satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's sweet, man. Yeah, there's so many natural phenomena in the world and getting to experience them, it's, uh, yeah, there's not, not too many folks who get to experience that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like bucket list for most people, I would say. Mm, yeah, 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 sure. 
So uh, what do you got going on now? Like, what are your future plans? What are you doing at the moment? Yeah, yeah, just, uh, I guess, figuring it out. Yeah, my season's coming to an end here. I've been working for a, a company doing uh, chimney work. So we've been uh, doing a lot of chimney building and repairs. And that's coming to an end within the next couple of weeks. And after that, it's like, oh, well, new new chapter's here. And um, I guess right now I'm deciding if I want to stay in New England or head out west or um, where I want to go. Um, so right now I've been kind of leaning towards maybe staying in New England for the winter. Um, I got an opportunity to actually um, maybe do some, some guiding uh, for some ice climbing around here. So might try to do that, but we'll see. That's cool. Yeah, there's, I mean, I think I've heard like North Conway has like some really good ice climbing, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, has, the access is just like all time. I mean, we got uh, a huge ice fest that happens here every year. Um, and the access to just like basically roadside ice is just unmatched. Um, we got this area, um, called Frankenstein. It's uh, got everything from, you know, waterfall ice two and three all the way to the NAR. Um, and it's just a short walk down some train tracks. And then we have the, the more kind of far out Alpine missions. If you want to climb up in Mount Washington and, um, lots of good venues for backcountry ice and, um, yeah, really approachable for, you know, if you're working the season here, it wouldn't be too unrealistic to like wake up early and like go out and climb like a few pitches ice and then be able to clock into work at a reasonable time. So it's a good, uh, good access to, to ice. How did you get into ice climbing? It, and also, well, how did you get into it? And also, isn't it scary? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an interesting medium for sure. You know, unlike rock climbing, you're not always touching it and holding it with your hands. you you have this tool, which is kind of, um, disrupting your feel to it. And it's, it's not always easy to read. It's like a language. So, the ice um, does speak to you, and I think it takes some time to really hear it. Um, I know it might sound a little weird, but like you know, the sounds it makes when you swing into it—if it's more tinny versus like a thud—and you can start to know, like, oh, is this bomber or is this going to totally blow in my face? So, <laughs> um, I think through time it loses some of that mystery, and you can start to really understand how it's going to react to you, you climbing it. Yeah. So with um, so I don't think a lot of people really ice climb. Could you like say how you protect it and like, yeah. like what a normal day on ice kind of looks like? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's such a funky sport and just like, you know, climbing in and of itself is pretty niche of an activity and then ice climbing is like a pretty small subcategory of climbing and it's, um, you, you just kind of have sharp pointy stuff all over the place. Um, you got crampons on your feet, which are, um, hard mounted onto your boots and they're, um, what you kick into the ice with, and then you're holding ice axes in your hands. Um, so as you, you're climbing up, you know, like with climbing, <clears throat> you'd stop and you'd place a piece of protection in the wall. Um, and with rock, you know, that could be a, a cam or, a a stopper, some sort of <clears throat> piece of metal, um, that gets put into the rock. And with ice climbing, it's a, a screw. So 
Um, it has uh, teeth in the front and then threads throughout the body of it. And as you thread it into the ice, it, it excavates the ice that it displaces and it, it's a hollow tube. So you thread this ice screw into the ice and then it has a, a little eyelid on it that you can clip the rope to. So as you're going up, you clip the rope to these uh, removable ice screws. That's pretty cool. And like, it's solid, like you can fall on it. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. The, at first you're like, yeah, no way is that going to hold me. I mean, the whole thing is so just like, <laughs> seemingly like shouldn't work but does um and so i've done a lot of tests to trust this stuff i mean like so much of climbing and so much of any of this is the trust in your equipment um and building that you know because without it you just would probably be like absolutely terrified you're like does this go- is this gonna work um but yeah i've i've put in an ice screw clip to it and and then use my ice axe or ice tool to um just hack away the surrounding ice and uh, you'd be surprised. I mean, you can excavate almost 90% of the ice from around a screw and it'll still hold you. It doesn't really take a whole lot of ice to hold your body weight. So, uh, definitely, definitely strong. I've admittedly yeah, never but... taken a fall onto one, um, <laughs> but I've heard of people doing it and they hold. Yeah, I was about to say, like, have you whipped though? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the rule with ice climbing is you, you, t- you just don't fall. Um, it's kind of like one of those things where like a fall is typically going to result in injury of some sort. Like maybe you're not going to deck or blow a piece, but you know, a twisted ankle or like a puncture wound is like probably fairly likely. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then like it's in the winter, so getting out is quite more complicated than like a nice t-shirt mm. day rock climbing <laughs> yeah i mean you can make a sled and carry you out so it's like you might be able to get out fairly easily but if you're injured and you're not moving and you're just sitting like idle on the snow you're gonna get cold pretty fast so um you gotta be like fairly self uh sufficient and take care of yourself and um yeah like anytime you're recreating in the backcountry, like just making sure you can take care of yourself and be ready for these emergency situations, whether that's like creating a splint or creating a sled or being able to get out should something go wrong. It's, they're just kind of like things that you you take with you. You take your gear and you take your tools, but you take like all of your skills and your mental toolbox with you as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm sure like should have your woofer. <laughs> you know if like anybody mm. should really if they're going out you know yeah i think if anyone's going out and playing in the backcountry like a wilderness first responder um or like a wilderness first aid class is, is so valuable i mean the times where you know just learning about things like as basic as like what a moleskin patch can do to like a, a heel blister and in its most simplest form and then you know thinking about like say you did get punctured by an ice tool like what what would that look like how could you create like a makeshift litter carry if someone had like a big spiral fracture of the of a a limb or something you know there's these catastrophic things that could happen and being ready for them um is is just like so valuable and it could be the the difference between you know, going hypothermic versus like getting sure somebody's wrapped up in a little burrito and is nice and warm and can get rescued. Yeah. Yeah. I've never had to deal with anything that serious, but 
I know people mm. that have, and yeah, you need to be prepared. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, super valuable. Even if you're just out hiking, I mean, it's like you see people who get hurt all the time, and um, once you start getting up into the alpine or colder and accessible areas, like it, you don't have to be doing something gnarly to get hurt. I mean, you could be just walking along with your little trekking poles and backpack, and then have a slip down like a little slab, and then you know break an ankle or something and then need to rescue yourself it's always a um not something to be feared but something to be acknowledged and prepared for yeah definitely do you have like any expeditions or like big trips you want to do this year or are you just kind of like coasting through (laughs) um it's all it's all a balance i suppose and like yeah there's so many things i'd love to do and the financial restraints are just are very real and I've put a lot of finances into the trolley. So the, the leftover money is, is fairly slim for this year. It's a, you know, there's always this balance of like how much money you spend versus how much money you make. And the difference between there is usually what you can choose to do things with, whether that's uh, adventure, save it or something like that. I mean, um, it's always this phenomenon. Um, I, I had a fairly lucrative work season and I, um, I do have some money to play with, but I've put a lot of it into the trolley. So I think as I get older here, it's, it's nice to, to find myself having some sort of stability with the, a home. Um, so I'm kind of like really prioritizing that stability, um, with the trolley. So, um, yeah, yeah. Big yeah, expeditions. Do. Um, do you have another big sailing trip coming up? Um, do you have a trip out to Joshua Tree to go climbing? Um, so things like that, but nothing, um, you know, multi month or anything like that. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've done a multi month trip ever, but. Totally. <laughs> mm. um. Yeah, I mean, that's like the whole. What you, if you do a season. Um, you know, working, you can often make enough and be frugal enough to then have money to go take an entire season to go have a mega adventure. It's like the the balance, I suppose. If you um, live this, like, in, you know, throughout time, it's like, what is balance for you? You know, with uh, with work and play and all that. So if your balance is like, hey, I absolutely crushed work for four to five months or so, and then for four to five months, I just go out and play or experience things that bring me joy through time. It's balanced versus like, oh, I'm going to work like a casual job, but recreate throughout the working season. It's like, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it is a balance. Like work real hard and then take time off. Work real hard, take time off. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I totally feel you like the getting, the getting the getting older thing and like needing stability is you know i thought like in my younger 20s i like would never want that but as i'm like getting almost into my 30s i'm kind of just like well i should probably find something like sort of stable <laughs> uh, yeah you know. yeah there's a this like huge allure of the like instability and this like experience and um yeah i don't think that needs to be like a viewed as a failure or anything it's just the evolution through time and it's like those experiences make you value that, you know, when I like, likewise for me, when I was in my younger twenties as well, like didn't really value that. 
and it wasn't a priority. And then throughout the course of time, like the, the experiences I've had now contribute to like, oh, yeah, maybe I do actually prioritize some form of stability or something more solid, um, a community <laughs> that is yeah. like slightly less transient. They all become these things that you're like, oh, well, huh. turns out that's actually what I care about. And my like slightly mindless ramblings throughout the country where just maybe try to find that. Dude, I feel that so much. Like having a community that's not transient is like, <laughs> is like a huge thing for sure. Cause I mean, I have like tons and tons of friends, you know, from like all over the place, but we're never all in the same place at the same time. Yeah. And it makes me sad a lot, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you have this like emotional connection and then friendship with folks. And then you, it's like, it's so common with living on the road. You meet somebody and you're like, wow, I really like you. You're like, you're just, we get along super well. We're in this beautiful place having this like incredible experience together. And then like a couple of weeks go by and it's like, oh, hey, I'm headed to this other place. And then the, the person you just met is like, oh, yeah, I'm actually headed somewhere else. <laughs> and then you split and like maybe you see each other you're like months or a year down the road, but you don't have the like, space and time to like really develop a, a connection like yeah dude it makes me sad all the time <laughs> just like oh like i really like this group of friends like we all vibe mm -hmm. together so well we like we live together we climb together we you know mm -hmm. make all of our food and stuff together like and then you know after a couple weeks it's like we're all gone yep it's like oh and it'll never be the same again yeah, it, it won't. And uh, there's, yeah, something exciting about that to know that it was like this moment you all got to have and like that time will never go away. So there's something really special about that. And then um, to think that like, oh, there will be more, which is exciting, it's, but it, it doesn't hold that like sense of stability or like it's not solid. It's like <laughs> unknown, which it can be exciting, but also like, sometimes it's nice to come back to something that is solid. <laughs> yeah. Like if that could just, if you could have that connection with like your friend group and then just, it never goes away would be nice. But yeah, I mean, yeah. but that's, yeah, so, I mean, we're all, yeah. Yeah. If you're drawn to this, uh, transient lifestyle or to, to experience new places with new people, it's, um, it, it makes you really need to, reach out to these friends and like have phone conversations, like have little FaceTimes with the people who are important to you and to really make sure that during that time away, that when you do have the ability to cross paths again, it's like, Oh, I'm so glad we got to stay connected. And we're really lucky that we live in an age with technology that like I can go out there and meet somebody in Moab or Joshua tree or whatever it is and have this like incredible time, like foster our friendship and then go different ways. But then like we can stay connected through Instagram or through FaceTimes or text messages. And so that when we do cross paths again, it's like, oh, wow, we shared time together through these like various means of communication. And that's so, so important and valuable to do. Yeah, we're super lucky that the um internet happened <laughs> yeah 
Like, could you yeah, I mean, to stay connected through, like, you know, I can see what someone's doing, like, almost, you know, weekly if they're posting on Instagram. And, you know, maybe it's not like that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. To, like, like their posts or to the comment on their stories and stuff like that. It's, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't seem like this deep form of connection, but it's like, it just bridges the gap. So yeah, it's kind of like kind of needed. <laughs> it's it's good enough, you know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, which is sad to say that it's good enough, but it's like it's it's what you can do. Yeah, it's better yeah, than it's, just letting it drift away and to never come back. It's like it's what you can do to hold on. Yeah. Dude, I am uh, kind of excited for like the like virtual reality thing to become a little more like cohesive cuz I don't know if you saw um the like Lex Fridman podcast with uh Mark Zuckerberg, but basically like they were debuting this like new technology where you can have like people that are like far away that actually seem like they're right next to you, like with the whole virtual reality thing. Well, and like you can <laughs> Yeah, you like enter like this virtual reality room and then there's, there's like like a bunch of people that like have scanned their whole body and everything into the system and then you can like literally talk to them like they're in the same room uh, it huh. seems i mean it's crazy but yeah it seems pretty far out um yeah i mean imagine better than like a text message but um yeah that's <laughs> wow yeah neat that would be cool yeah well um we're about at an hour and four minutes um if you want to keep talking we super can but uh this is usually yeah around the time yeah, I mean, do we talk about things that you're keen on, or like, how do you think things are going? Like, what's your, what's your thoughts? What am I doing? I don't know, dude. <laughs> My yeah. life is like so up in the air right now. Um, I think I'm probably <laughs> gonna stay in in Tahoe and ski a lot. Sick. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I don't really have okay. any like, big plans. This year, I might go to Burning Man next year, but that's kind of like... Oh, sick. Dude, yeah. Burning Man would be super rad. Yeah, I've got a bunch of friends here thinking about that. That would be awesome. Have you been before? Uh, Yeah, I've done two burns. I did uh, this last one, which was <laughs> terrible, and uh, the one before that. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool. It's like something to look forward to every year, you know? Seems it, man. I mean, it's just like this huge expression of like the possibilities of creation and community and self-reliancy and yeah, yeah just the I mean, art cars seem just so cool dude people it's like insane people put so much money into this thing <laughs> like, um, that's the part that kind of like is a little bizarro to me is like you know people are spending like thousands and thousands and tens and if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on this like event it's like pretty uh <laughs> oh dude dude it's <laughs> hard to comprehend <laughs> i mean i've seen enough to know the concept Dude, it's probably in the billions. Like, it is insane. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the the small, like you know, like one person you know might show up with like a hundred plus thousand dollar art car, and then it's like that times you know thousands. So yeah, you're right, billions. But it's like, yeah, neat, neat, but also makes you consider what you're a part of. Yeah, dude. I mean, just like the intricacy of the art cars, like mm -hmm. it's you know most of those are like in the millions. Like, oh, wow. Like a hundred thousand would be like a budget art car. Like, <laughs> huh. 
Wow. Yeah. They, they, they've always blown me away. I mean, I see these like big, you know, walking dinosaur things and like crazy neon jellyfish things with flamethrowers and DJ booths. And you're like, what the heck is that? Dude, <laughs> Highly intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, guess like, like transporting that out there too is like a huge cost just to like, how do you get these things there? Yeah, I know, dude, people, there's a lot of money being thrown around is how that happens. Really? Um, you mm-hmm. know, they, they bust them in on like semis and like, um, and like, dude, they bring in like industrial cranes and like, yeah, like insane amounts of like effort huh. go into like putting together Black Rock City. It's amazing. Yeah, it'd be sick to be on the building crew for that. I mean, dude, that would be so cool to be able to like build some gnarly shit out there. Yeah, it's it's not that hard to get into one. You just got to get into the right Facebook groups, you know. And like, yeah. I would start if you plan to go next year. I would start early because people are already building things. So. Yeah, I've, I've heard it's quite the process of, you know, preparation and all that. There's not really a huge community up here in New Hampshire. I think I've heard of a few people doing it, but it's not like Reno or somewhere like out out west where like there's these communities that have like warehouses where they prep all of their um, their spaces and sites beforehand. It's, there's people here who have gone, but they're not you're not going to make like some outrageous art car and travel 3000 miles with it. <laughs> uh, people do it, but yeah, <laughs> that's cool, man. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. You, you got like a girlfriend too now. Eh? I don't currently. Yeah, you don't No. <laughs> Sorry, man. If that was a sore subject there, I saw some videos on the internet. I was like, Oh, that's cute. But, yeah. My no, bad. No. All good. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, travel and like all the things, it's hard to have a relationship if you're, where you're at, depending on where you're at. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm uh you know, there's girls around, but I'm not like in a official thing. Mm, so, I see. But uh Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean you should definitely go to the burn. It's it's really fun. I would go single though. <laughs> to go where? Uh if you go to the burn I would not bring like a partner, like a girlfriend. It's Hmm. it's too much <laughs> it seems like pretty overwhelming with like the amount of people around but uh depends on like what boundaries you have with your partner i mean i think like with the proper communication events like that are possible it's uh you know having your jealousy and your security and being grounded is all like prerequisites before you are in that environment where it's like all the stimulation people around so yeah yeah no i mean it it's very overwhelming like in all sense of the word yeah um, no there's, doubt man. there's like pretty underlying sexual themes well not yeah. actually it's not very underlying but <laughs> sure uh, which you can do with a partner if you're like open to that i mean i i hear what you're saying um you just would need to have additional things it's not like you're going for like a trip down to the local farmer's market and you guys are like Hey, I'm gonna go over here and look at the zucchini squash, and like you're gonna go over there and look at like the knitted handmade goods. It's like, yeah, you're going into like this zone where it's like, you know, everyone's in a bouncy house, like naked, full of Dr. Bronners and like, you know, whatever. It's like, you know, <laughs> a little different here. There's uh the the situations you may find yourself in are like pretty far out. So yeah, do it. I mean, it's pretty much like like anything goes, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, there's lots there's there's like lots of like sexuality happening um like everywhere it's fun i mean it's awesome (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally man uh yeah 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I seriously thought of going. I thought it would be insane, though, to bring the trolley to the Burning Man. Um, yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. It would and also like, probably just come back 100 pounds heavier full of dust. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, it depends on the year, I guess. Like, this year, <laughs> I didn't even have to wash my car because it rained a lot. Yeah. Like, um, did you hear about it? Like, what happened there? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty familiar with this year's of what happened. <laughs> yeah, dude, we were all just stuck there for like days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seemed like quite the experience for everybody. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure varying levels of experience, but yeah, totally. I saw the people trudging around in their extra tufts up to their knees and the stuck cars and the, you know, everybody freaking out about this, like, you know, underground disease or whatever and it seems like people were like not always having a good time no it i mean they canceled like everything yeah um, we didn't even know if the man was gonna burn at one point like yeah you're just like mucking up to your knees in this like really weird like mud mm-hmm. <laughs> and like the porta potties were just like like you'd go into the porta potty and it's like a foot of mud and like yes. the porta potties are like completely full and you're like, eh, this is really testing the limits of health right now. <laughs> wow. Yeah, dude, that's gnarly. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like we were struggling that much, you know. We, I mean, mm. I had tons of extra food, had tons of extra water. Like, yeah, and like, I don't know, like, there's no service there really, so you don't have like, like we we didn't know like what the world was saying about it. Because, like, you can't get onto the internet. Yeah. Um, but, like, yeah. I don't know. You could walk down the street and, like, have a margarita. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, wow. like, it, like, we weren't struggling, really. And, like, I don't I don't think there was, like, very much disease. Like, I don't know. My I partner, think there was all just, like, rumor and hearsay. But it was just funny to be like, wow. Seems like there's a lot of people freaking out over there. But, I mean, maybe it was just, like, the more vocal ones and whatnot. It wasn't everybody, but... Yeah, yeah, we weren't we weren't really freaking out. Um, cool. Like, there's seventy thousand people there stuck, like with tons of extra stuff. Like, we could have lasted yeah. a month easily. There's a lot of resources. <laughs> yeah, that's what you got to do. You got to be prepared for that, and that's kind of like their whole principles is just self reliancy. So, you know, they if there's any group of people who could go in an area and have this kind of emergency and be stuck, it's the burner crowd. Oh yeah, knew we were fine. Like. You could still walk down the street and, like, you know, get a hot dog or, like, get a breakfast burrito. and like. <laughs> How's that like, work? Yeah, How do you, like, do you trade stuff? So it's, like, a gifting community mostly. So basically, like, you just bring a lot of stuff to give away. Um, but, like, you're getting a breakfast burrito. I mean, like, what do you... You just walk down the street and they're giving away breakfast burritos. It's like... But you don't, like, you don't toss them, like, ten bucks. You're, like, throwing them what... No, like you what don't. do you what do you trade a breakfast burrito for? Like, what's the currency translation of a breakfast burrito to what? There's no currency. Um, uh-huh. You don't but trade like, anything. <laughs> like that. I mean, I could probably give him like a carabiner. It's probably the same price. What's the, like? What does it look like? Artwork or is it like? What's the? What was your? I guess like what was your currency that you gave out? I just brought tons of beer and gave it away. Kind of what I did. Yeah. So like, you could trade. A couple beers for a breakfast burrito? Well, you don't trade anything. You just, like, give things away. 
Um, so uh-huh. like, yeah. So basically, like, you have to like bring something to contribute to like the community, and then everything mm-hmm. is free. There's no exchange of anything. So sure. like, so like, what I did was I had like a cooler of like beer that I would just put out, and you know, but just put it out like free beer, take it, you know. Um, and then like other people do like you know uh workshops like sound uh like sound bath workshops people play music people there's like restaurants and cafes there's bars and so basically like you yeah so you just go and everything is free and everybody's just like gifting you whatever they have to gift like uh not this year but last year i taught like juggling workshops and stuff like that um and like, wow. like put on we put on parties and stuff like um and like bartended and like That's yeah you just, you, dude you just walk around and like it's like a normal city except there's no money exchange you just like go Ooh. around and like everything is free wow way cool yeah what an experience to be able to see that that's that's super neat yeah i mean that's that's the cool thing like the barrier to entry is quite expensive. Like, I don't think you could get there at all for less than like a thousand dollars. Um, yeah. But, uh, once you get there, it's a week of like, you don't spend money at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Just a bit, just a ticket alone. And then your transportation costs for your person, it's, uh, definitely has a, a pretty high price tag for just entering. Yeah. Like the normal price is like, 500 ish dollars and then you have to, if you're bringing in a vehicle it's 140 dollars for the vehicle pass so just like <laughs> to get there is like you know 700 or so and then like yep. you have to get like your outfits and all your food and water and like your guests and stuff for the whole week um yeah i can see so. that get, having a pretty big sliding scale from you know the low end 700 to you know <laughs> Who knows what people are bringing for gifts and whatnot. Imagine that can get pretty high. Yeah. And like, if you're like with like an established camp, like you don't have to have a camp, you can just like camp on your own. But um, if you have an established camp, usually there's like camp dues that you have to pay. Like, and like basically that all goes towards like your camp's gift or like whatever programs you're doing just to like (laughs) pay for things. But, uh, yeah, yeah like, that's kind of how a lot of things need to be is that there's like, yeah, these resources, we're like giving them out. There's like, it comes down to often money or an exchange of time or skills of some sort. So I guess, it, I guess it makes sense. The like upper ends of the like financial spectrum are a little c- confusing to me, but I could see, you know, in the more grassroots side of things, it's like, yeah, I do. If you're like a welder or somebody who has like these valuable skills that like you can kind of like exchange exchange that for the ability to be a part of it yeah yeah i mean mostly it's just like it depends on what camp you're in or um something like that you know there's like you know people put millions and millions of dollars into it and like celebrities go like there's celebrity camps and whatnot like you can run into celebrities like we saw chris rock (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is a neat spot i mean like it's just such a unique experience it's like it attracts everybody and anybody so it's uh doesn't seem like a limiter except for the super broke people but even that i think you can usually trade your way in or get some sort of uh in through just a donation of time or something so but yeah i can see that being a neat spot to be in and just surrounded by everybody who feels drawn to that experience 
yeah and i mean it can kind of just be like whatever you want like um mm. my my partner that i went with was like sober the whole time and she had a great time um cool and uh i mean there are you know obviously lots of drugs going around but um yeah Seems i mean it. yeah yeah but like <laughs> you, you can kind of make it like however you want it <laughs> Totally. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's like life, man. You can approach it however you want. I mean, there's, you can live your entire life and be sober. Or you can live your entire life and just kind of like sit crisscross in the corner. You can go out and live this like, you know, really loud life. And there's so many different ways you can do it. And it's, you know, you, you get to decide. I mean, we all write our own story. So in that situation, yeah, you can go experience Burning Man however the heck you want. <laughs> it's yeah, your, cool. your experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, but, yeah, long story short, that's pretty much the only thing I'm probably doing this next year. I'm not sure. Um, right on, man. I don't know. Cool. Probably going to go climb in Yosemite a little bit or something. And, oh, you know, sick. That'd thing. be awesome. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, right on, bro. That sounds cool. Yeah, Good yeah. Good stuff. Um, do you want to like talk about your like business or like how people can find you and like buy your art and like look at your thing? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, man. I'll talk about anything. Yeah. So, um, so you was make there stickers. a question or? Yeah. Yeah. You make stickers and stuff, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I got a little art company that I created, um, yeah, before the trolley, before all this, it was um, Stay Wild. It's uh, I got a website, Stay Wild, Never Mild, and uh, Instagram, it's uh, Mr. Dot Dirt. And I, you know, post a lot of my travels and uh, creations and uh, stickers that I sell to help fund the adventures. And I do photography and um, side work for trying to pick up automotive repairs on the road or whatever else i can do to make a buck to keep keep the adventures going nice nice um and then you're at, on instagram like at mr dot dirt yeah that's what you said. yeah yeah that's where i post all my personal stuff i've uh i've had a lot of different instagrams through time and uh, that's the one i've kind of started to just kind of funnel a lot of my things into and um yeah, I think the social media is like kind of dwindling in my desire to partake in. It's like not always providing the outlet I'm looking for. It's um seems a little soul sucking at times, but it's a you know, like we talked about earlier, it's a great way to stay connected with friends who you've met while traveling. So I'll, you know, continue to do it and post and uh share my creations and interact with friends. So so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I encourage anybody that's listening to at least check out his like cool uh car creations <laughs> and like your art in general is like really cool. So yeah. Thanks. I appreciate you saying that, man. Yeah, thanks for having me um on the podcast and uh yeah, it was neat to chat for a little bit here. Yeah, dude. Good. Good conversation, good friends. Love it. All right, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'll yeah, see you cheers, later. man. Yeah, let me know about uh anything else you got going on and yeah, I feel like we kind of like chat every now and again about concepts and opportunities and things that we're brainstorming. So yeah, keep it going and keep scheming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will, for sure. <laughs> Alright, dude. <laughs> I'll see ya. <laughs> yeah, awesome, Bye. man. Cheers. Stay in touch. Yep. Yeah. See you later. 
Well, what a cool guy, eh? Thank you guys so much for tuning back in to another episode of Roots Away. I am working tirelessly on a lot more episodes, so a lot more where that came from. Share it with people you like if you like the conversations. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to keep doing it anyway. So (laughs) love you guys. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your night or day or whenever you listen to podcasts. Love everybody, love yourself, and keep living awesome. Bye, guys. Roots away.